Good evening. Good evening, sir. <clears throat> Happy to see each and every one of you being uh, with us this evening. Turn to 1 John chapter, well, it'd be better if I knew, chapter 2, and we're going to be looking tonight starting in verse 18. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. I want to say, uh, sorry that I was unable to be here with you on Sunday. I feel much better. Uh, just allergies and drainage, all that annoyance that hits me ever so often. I usually do allergy medicine around Memorial Day, and then I usually do it around the start of school. <laughs> but I'm sort of mentally not there because we didn't, haven't really started school as the normal time. So normally when I go to school, that means, oh, I need to start taking that allergy pill again. So, um, But anyway, feeling feeling much better. I appreciate last Wednesday, you all sort of humored me. Uh, we did uh, our lesson last week on the model prayer, and uh, hopefully there was uh, benefit for you and gain for you. And uh, I hope maybe this week as you've prayed in various times and places and locations that you maybe reflected back on that and thought about uh, sort of what we discussed and what you pray about and all of that. I won't ask if anybody went into their closet to pray uh, beforehand or not, but uh, we talked last week, of course, about you know you're, you're, you're distancing yourself from outside stresses when, when we pray. You know, we want to remove ourselves from other issues and focus more on this. <clears throat> now, before we get started, yesterday was my last day at home before school started. Teachers had to start work today. Uh, We've been working beforehand, but today was our sort of our real actually go back. So I had done a few different tasks yesterday, and one of them was mow the yard and did a few other things. So it was about three o'clock when I came in. Well, I had sat down, I had a glass of water, and I sat down and turned the TV on. And there was a hockey game that was just starting. Columbus versus Tampa in the playoffs. And so I watched a couple of minutes and then I did some other stuff and did a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And the same channel that Columbus was on was the channel that last night the Reds were supposed to be on in baseball. So once I'm kind of done with everything, it's 7 o'clock and I turn my TV back on and watch the Reds. They were still playing high. It was the second overtime. They played a little more. It was the third overtime. The fourth overtime into the fifth overtime. It became the fifth longest hockey game that was ever played. The fifth longest hockey game that was ever played. It started at three. Now they take like halftime breaks, but it started at three o'clock and ended at nine o'clock. There was a game that was supposed to be played on the same ice afterwards, and they just moved it to this morning. They said, Listen, we don't have time to get it ready for this. They'll be playing until 2 o'clock in the morning. But hockey, especially in the playoffs, is enjoyable to me. Because if it goes into overtime, they play what's called sudden death. First one to score wins. It's not like a basketball game where they put five minutes on the clock and Jimmy's team scores 15 points and mine scores 12 number time, so his team won. Whoever scores first, it's over. And last night, those teams that played from 3 to 4 to 5 to 9 o'clock, 
And at 9 o'clock, a boy for Toronto or for Tampa scored, and the game was over. Just like that. There had been so much stress in that game. The guy for Columbus stopped 87 shots during the course of the game. 87 shots, wearing all that equipment, sweating, skating up and down the ice for six hours. Winners keep going, losers eliminated, although this was, it's probably serious, so what technically the case. But it ended just like that. And just for a brief minute, it hit me, that's a lot of times what our life is like. Stressed out, working as hard as we can, trying to do this and that, trying to stop things from happening, taking shots from all sides, some of them coming fast, some of them coming slow, and it just ends, just like that. Now that doesn't mean that every one of us will fall over dead from a heart attack, just like that. But everybody who has ever lived right at the near end of death will say it all happened really quick. I would say that if you talk to those players, on the winning team last night, they probably weren't even tired when it was over. Now they probably were when they went to bed, but they were probably so excited. And I told Mary, I said, I would say the losing team probably thought, what was all this worth? We skated and hit and punched and kicked and slapped and every, for six solid hours that we lost. And I got to thinking like what our lives were like. You know, in James, we read that our lives are described as what? Like a what? Like a baby. Like a baby. And just gone, just like that. And so that doesn't really have a whole lot to do with what we're learning about tonight. But it did kind of make me think about how quickly those things sort of happen. And how quickly our decisions, or maybe a wrong decision, can cause us to completely lose out. The last time we were together talking about this, we had talked about in 1 John uh, chapter, I guess it was chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17, about not loving the world. Tonight we're going to talk about deceptions. The Bible says, that the, my Bible says, top of chapter or verse 18, deceptions of the last hour. Deceptions of of the last hour. I want you to, before we get started though, I want you to describe the last hour of work. Tell me what you're thinking about. Some of you are retired, so go back to when you used to be working. Some of you are still working. I guess some of the hours never ended, Jimmy, but what is the last hour at work? What's going through our heads? The last hour of work. Well, we're going to fix for supper. Okay, so we're all, we are, we've moved on from work. We're thinking about what we're going to fix for supper. What else? We watch the clock. We watch the clock. Start going backwards, right? That's the longest hour is the last one. So we're watching the clock. What else is going through our minds in that last hour? Have you got your percentage? Have you hit your percentage, all right? I think I know what you're talking about right there. But, you know... Maybe we can make that make a little more sense. Have I got done what I'm supposed to get done? Maybe do I have to work extra hard tomorrow to kind of catch up with what I missed out on or what I didn't get done next? What else is maybe going through our head? I used to think about where Jano Jimmy thinks about all the time going home and is it going to rain? It's not supposed to rain. It's going to rain. Wait a minute. Hope the rain might 
get up and when I gotta do when I get home. So that last hour can become sort of hectic, right? And in some cases, what I didn't really hear from everybody was that last hour, I'm working just as hard and just as focused as I was the first hour. Nobody said that. You know, Lucille's saying she's trying to catch up, maybe. The rest of you have said stuff that has nothing to do with the actual work. Ella said she's watching the clock. Well, they don't pay you to watch the clock, but that's what you're doing, right? But that has nothing to do with whatever the task is. That last hour we get distracted, right? Things can distract us, and they can keep us from doing what we're supposed to do. What do you think deceptions of the last hour, verse 18 in 1 John chapter 2, what do you think we're planning to talk about here? The end. Okay. End of time, end of our life, however we want to view it. That's what we're going to be looking at here this evening. That end of time, that end of our life, whatever it might would be. And we're going to hopefully be able to see what should we be focused on and what would maybe distract us. Do you think anybody's ever been hurt at work in the last hour because they weren't as focused as they had been the previous seven? I'm sure they have. I do, I do it all the time, all the time. It's just a happy, I'm not even paying attention to it, and all of a sudden there's an injury or something. Like that happens. I always said you never want to buy a car that was made late Friday evening. Or early Monday morning. Try to get one made on Tuesday. That's probably the truth because there's probably more. You're, you're, you know, we, we laugh, but it's true. So let's look here. We're going to dive into this, and uh, I've got a few questions, and obviously I would be happy to answer or we'll be able to discuss as well. But let's look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 23. Jimmy, I won't make you read since you already knocked one out of go. Jill, uh, keep that row reading back there. <laughs> Okay, so I want to start with verse 18, and I want to start with the first two words. What are the first two words in verse 18? Little children. children. We talked about that a couple weeks ago in verses 12 through 14. John writes here to three different groups, and he stresses and he emphasizes it a second time. Who are the three groups of people within the church that he spoke to in verses 12, 13, and 14? First of all, in verse 12, I write to you who? I write to you little children. In verse 13, I write to you who? Fathers. Later on in verse 13, I write to you who? Young men. We talked about how that that sort of makes up the different groups right there. But who are the little children? Yeah, the Christians. The, the, 
right there. So who is he referring to here in verse 18 when he says little, little children? Not uh, us. as Christians. Now, most of us would probably, I don't want to say be offended, but most of us would sort of be taken aback if we were referred to as a little child. Why would being called a little child maybe not set right with some of us today? children it is the last hour and as you have heard that the antichrist is coming even now many antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour now this conversation has been had in churches forever this conversation is had by religious people forever this conversation has been had by people who have no religious interest at all, forever. What are we talking about here when we see this word antichrist in chapter in verse eighteen? The Bible says against Christ. Good. Anti is against. Okay. Anti is against. Okay. Anti Christ. So what are we talking about here? Anti Christ. We're saying what? Good. We, we can give all sorts of anybody who's going to be against Christ. Now, I find it interesting that we see the word antichrist here twice, and there's a, there's a distinction between the first time and the second time. The first time we see what kind of A in antichrist? Yeah. A capital one, meaning that a, a, a name in a sense, a descriptor. If you were to say Roy, you're going to capitalize that. You're not lowercasing that. Okay? So, by what we see there, the people have been hearing that there is this antichrist coming. So that means I'm on the lookout for this one specific person there. But what does the verse go on to actually say? The second time we see the word antichrist, it's what? What's It's a small one. But it says what in verse 18? Many antichrists have already come. Meaning there's already people out here that are doing what? Speaking against Christ. Speaking against Christ. See, we would like to think that Antichrist with a big capital A is somebody that I can go down to, you know, the town square or the, in front of the courthouse, and this person is going to like walk there, that person is right there. And I'll know I gotta stay away from it. Let's go around this way. That's not what we're seeing here. What are we seeing here as Antichrist? 
Uh-huh. They've gone out into the world now and they're saying Jesus isn't real or mm-hmm. the Father's real but not Jesus. Things such as that. We'll get to that in just a second about the people that actually had been with them. But what we're seeing here is exactly what he said. Those people are already there. Are those people there today? Absolutely. You know when they stopped being, you know when they started being there? Immediately. Immediately. And you know when they're going to stop being there? So what do we have to do? We have to avoid them if possible and overcome them and dispute them. Uh, we can uh, talk with them about what the Bible says. You know, we have to, we have to present the evidence that Jesus was here. Good. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I think that's... I, I think the majority of the world, though, thinks that there is one Antichrist coming. Uh-huh. And we'll know a lot of the Pentecostal type people believe that there is one Antichrist coming. You'll know, some people said Adolf Hitler was the Antichrist. Well, he was certainly Antichrist. But he was Mussolini or, you know, or... Sure. Or Those are all people against Christ. Anybody that doesn't do the will of Christ is Right. But it's not one person. It never has been known in everything. And those titles have been bestowed upon everybody. If you live for a hundred years, you'll see this person or that person. This this person who was someone, you know, a, a, a politician or a cult leader or anything. You can apply those titles. And they've been there for 200 years or 2,000 years. They'll still be there for that extended period of time. But that's why I say it would be easy for us if it was like, well, there's that one person. Yeah. I say that, but I think it would be easier because I need to avoid that. But now when I say that, remember the story of Adam and Eve? What was the story, of, what was Adam and Eve's requirement in the garden? What was Adam and Eve's requirement in the garden? What were they told to do? Tend the garden and keep it. Tend the garden and keep it. What were they told not to do? Okay, so I don't know how many trees were in the Garden of Eden. I don't know if that matters or not. But there's a clear distinction of do this, what Leland said, don't do this, what Raymond said. How deep into the book of Genesis are they doing what Raymond said right there? I mean, it, we're just a page or two in. So if we were to say, well, there's, there's only one Antichrist, and you guys have to avoid that, would people avoid that? There's no, there's no record of history that people have ever avoided things that are bad for them or things that are troublesome. He says the Antichrist in verse 18, they've already been here. Now when he's talking about this being the last hour, this sort of can be confusing for some people. Because we're told in the Bible, when will the earth, when will the world end? We don't know. And in fact, what makes that even more distinct is who also doesn't know? Jesus. Jesus. Okay? The angels. Who knows? God only. God only. Okay, so so this description of a last hour, we talked about work a minute ago. You know your shift ends at five. Ella's watching the clock from four to five. She knows when that is. But if your boss tells you, you got to work till I tell you you can go home. When is the last hour? You don't know. You know, whenever, whenever he comes. So he's got to keep working. So right here, when, he, when, we, when John describes this as the last hour, what does he mean if we don't know 
that the clock's going to strike at this certain time and that's going to be it. What does he mean by the last hour? Last dispensation. What do you mean by that? De- define that word for me. There is nothing else coming after Jesus. Jesus went to heaven, and when he comes back, he will take his uh, people home. They will meet him in the air, and that world will be stopped. Okay. So we are, the, it is the last hour. There is nothing, you know, the, the Jews, during the patriarchal age, the people did, they kept, had these prophets, and they kept looking for something to come. And then, Later on, then the Mosaic Law came. They were looking for something to come. Then they were looking again for Christ to come. And Christ did come. And he has come. And he has done what he had to do. He's gone back to heaven. And so there is no there is no more final chances. You either get it right now or it's too late. We talked at the beginning of this First John lesson how that it's really two sort of sermons. The book of First John. It's the first part is about life and the second part is more about love. And this first part, this whole sort of life idea, life is important because life means that there's also going to be what? If there's life, then there will inevitably be what? There will be death. So if we know when the last hour is, if I know physically the earth is going to end at this specific time, I can cheat that, right? If I know that my life is going to end at this specific time, when do I need to start being good? Right before it, right? I can have all the fun in the world and it'd be good right then. Or if I know, well, the earth is going to end at this specific time, I don't even worry about anything. To... See, that's how we think, right? That's how people sort of think. So if I know when it's going to be ending, then where's my focus while it's happening? Is it actually there? I'm not saying you would be a bad person. I don't mean that. But we have thousands of years of human history that says people won't. People will, will still do wrong. Yeah, it reminds me of a very good story I heard years ago. Charles Perrault was on the road for CBS News years ago, and he was in Louisiana talking to this 108-year-old black lady, and she was sitting underneath the tree. And she said when she was 60, she told her son to dig that tree up and bring it, put it in their yard, and then when she died, to put that tree beside her grave. That's what she, it was a beautiful little tree. He did. He brought the tree home, put it in her yard. Well, now the tree's 55 years old. Right. And uh, he, <laughs> she said, I don't think you'd be able to put it beside the grave now. You know? Right. But it's an interesting story. It seemed like at 60, back in 1970, she was probably on the down sure. the road. Okay? Sure. But she lived 55 more years. You know? Right. She was, and she was still alive at that point. I don't know how long she lived. But uh, that's interesting. Her lifestyle was not like everybody else's lifestyle. It lasted a long, long time. Absolutely. So when we think about this sort of last hour, then what he's saying here, and what we're going to get into in this next verse, is that we still have to be alert for problems that may come, uh, that may come around. We're not cheating the system. Rather, we're being more alert about what potential problems could arise because of it. There will be no further teaching. No further teaching? Amen. And that's, that's troublesome, right? If we, if we look at it the wrong way, that could be really troublesome. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. We're back to the antichrists, the lowercase letter. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might make manifest that none of them were of us. Now, that's a lot of they, us, they, us that's sort of described right there. But who is he talking about? These people that went out 
from us. These, I should say, Antichrist. That's what verse 18 says. Who is he saying these people who went out of uh, from us? Who's he talking about? Disciples. Okay? Now that's a hard thing to say that a disciple would be an antichrist. But he says those people went out from us and they did what? What did they do? Well, they said there was no Christ. Christ mm-hmm. wasn't who he said he was. Different they went out and they said they undermined. Undermine is a really good word right there. They, they went against it. Okay? So let's imagine that you have never heard of Christ. You've never heard the gospel. It is whatever time First John is. That's what time it is and you're living there. And two people approach you. One person approaches and tells you about Christ. And one person approaches and they basically say that it's not really what it is. Which one do you believe? It's tough, right? Because you don't have any knowledge one way or the other. So that's a really difficult thing to answer that question. Now let's say that you have some knowledge of Christ, and one but not, you know, you're not a Christian in first John, but you have some understanding. You kind of know who these people are. The first person comes and tells you about Christ. The second person comes and says, nah, it's not, not really, really that. This was not really who we thought it was. But you know enough to know that these people used to work together. Who do you believe in that? follower either. That can be a really difficult thing. Now when Leland says that he asks a good question. He says but they were not of us. They went out from us but they were not of us. What is that saying right there? Who are these people if they were with us and then they went out from us but they were never really of us? What is, what is John writing here? So I think of two different things. One, I think of when we read the Bible, when Jesus says, when you are converted, then what? Strengthen the bread. I think there's some people in that group right there that weren't truly converted. They had some interest in what it was. They wanted to be part of it, but there's tools that keep us from it. I think those people are, are right there. That was some of those people. I don't know Linda, that they did any harm by it. But they weren't truly converted. And then sometimes, you know, if you give somebody just a little bit, they mess the whole thing up. I think there's a second group that's there as well. Do we remember the story of Simon the Sorcerer? What was Simon the Sorcerer? What is the story of Simon the Sorcerer? When he saw what happened? 
Uh -huh. He told the same thing because he had been in a world of sorcery his whole life. And he saw a lot of money to do these tricks these guys are doing. So the Simon the Sorcerer character, he saw uh, uh, apostles, he saw people that had the gift of, you know, to be able to heal or whatever. And he looked at that and he said, I want to be able to do that. If you read that story on the surface, there were a whole lot of other people probably just like Simon the Sorcerer who became Christians and did exactly what a Christian would have done. But a couple verses later, Simon the Sorcerer sort of gets criticized. For what reason? He thought that he could buy the Holy Spirit. He looked at that, those gifts of the Holy Spirit, and his first thought was, this could make me money. There are people that come to this. Yeah, people follow Christ, but Christ is dead in first John. He's already, he's already gone. But there were still apostles that were out teaching, and people still came and listened to them and talked with them and heard them preach. There would be people that might have looked, there might have been some Simon the Sorcerers that he's talking about here in verse 19 who looked at this and thought, how can I get people to come to me? Does that still happen today? Go home tonight, and if not tonight, you can probably go on Sunday, and you can find channels on your TV that are full of, I, I don't mean to be mean, that are full of Simon the Sorcerers. Because their main goal is what? Huh? What's that? Money. Their main goal is for you to send money to them. The phone number's down there in the corner. Huh? And you'll be healed. Well, nowhere in the Bible does it say that. And I know phones didn't exist 2,000 years ago. I understand that. But that's not what the Bible says. But when people see a crowd, They'll start looking for a way to make money. Back in April or May, whenever it was, I saw that this person had set up a COVID testing station at a gas station in Louisville. You know why? Way to make money. People will, anytime there's a disaster or emergency, there's going to be somebody right there waiting to make money. Those people exist. If there are people who are wanting to be Christians, and you can convince them to follow you, one of the things that we're told as Christians is we're supposed to give, right? Well, that'd be nice. I can get these people to follow me. Go ahead and a little bit of money. I'll put it in the back pocket. That was happening in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, and it's happening on August the 12th, 2020. And it's not like two ends of a timeline with nothing in the middle. It's happened ever since. Verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. See, verse 19 makes me a little bit worried. Because there's some bad, and that tells me, should I be concerned? What does verse 20 do to make me feel better? God's Word has been revealed by the Holy Spirit. To be yes. And they, if you've got facts, it's like if somebody comes to you, they'll be sitting here beside me, and somebody runs through that door and says, they'll be killed in the car. Well, I've got some facts. You, that's a, I don't know what your story is, sir, but that's a wrong story. She's sitting right here. Sure. Uh, I've got the facts. And so if you got the facts, it's a way better than a story. And they have, those people have the facts. We have the Bible. We have the facts. And all this other stuff is just hearsay or make-believe or whatever. We have the facts. 
So when he says there, you've been anointed by the Holy One, you've been taught by people who were taught by Christ. That's what he's saying. And this is a sermon in the sense that he's given, but he's telling these people that are in his audience, be they in a public setting like this or a writing, however you want to view it, they were being told, you have been taught by people who know. Now today, how does that work? Because none of us are ever going to be taught at the foot of somebody who was taught by Christ. The math, the timeline doesn't add up. Where do our Christ-like teachings come from today? Written word, the Holy Scripture. You ever want to have that? You, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. None of us ever have or ever will physically know Jesus in this life here on earth. Jesus is never going to be sitting beside you on this beam. That's not the way that works, right? We know who Jesus was. We still have those teachings. And so that word is there to extend that because those people that Jesus taught are already dead. But yet they're still teaching. Yes. Thoughts? Questions? Verse 21. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth. 2 Peter 1.3 1, from Leland there. Thank you. Verse 21. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. How many of you have ever uttered a sentence similar to verse 21? Maybe I'm, I'm thinking about this different than you might be. But I'm thinking about whenever I was younger and my parents would tell me something. In verse 21, I've not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you know it. And that no lie is the truth. You know, sometimes when we're younger and we do dumb things, your parents might say, I know you know better. You ever heard of that? Yeah. We all have, right? Our parents may have been dead for years, but we all, we all have heard that before. I, why does dad tell me, I know you know better? Why would he say that? Because I've been taught, right? I have been taught. I don't know if we had a specific list. These are the right things and these are the wrong things. But in the course of growing up, my parents were teaching me what I should do and what I shouldn't do. It would be really nice to say I never did anything wrong. But I did. And raise your hand if you did something wrong growing up. Everybody did. How many of you have heard mom or dad say, I don't even know that? Yes. We, Chris Stephan was the first base one time in an all-star game. And I'm coaching first. I said, Chris, what's the pop-up? You know, and he goes, I know Shelby. He, he, he kind of got frustrated with me because he's heard it 10,000 times from Shelby. Right. But if I, I wanted to not get double off first. Right. And uh, he did know. And he wasn't mad at me or nothing like it. But I was just trying to put one more brace in there to keep us from making that second out. You know? Absolutely. And uh, that's what parents do with kids. They've told you and they've told you and they've told you and they've told you. They're trying to shore up that country and make sure that it don't explode. 
How many of you have ever heard a sermon that dealt with um, that dealt with the Beatitudes? You ever heard that? How many of you have heard multiple sermons that dealt with the Beatitudes? How many of you have heard multiple sermons about baptism? How many of you have heard multiple sermons about living a Christian life? How many of you have heard multiple ser- sermons about Jesus' death upon the cross? Why are we being taught the same thing again? Because you did. It sticks. It sticks with you. It sticks with you. You all, you, you, and so you might say, well, there's 75 people in the building and they've all been baptized. It would be foolish to teach about baptism. Well, you probably teach that every Sunday, probably. But you need that sermon in there. Because you don't know who's out there. And you don't know who may be baptized and who may not be. And you may not know who may be starting to question, was I baptized for the right reason? And you don't know who maybe goes to work tomorrow and is having that same conversation with somebody who hasn't been baptized. I teach you this not because you don't already know, but because you need to know what's right and what's wrong. You're going to run into that right and wrong. That's what this whole set of verses is. Verse 22. We're going to start to move toward a wrap-up. Verse 22. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. That's a pretty strong two sentences. Because it says, someone who denies Jesus Christ is a what? Is a liar. I think most of us would rather be called anything before a liar. I'd almost be willing to bet that there's almost any name that you could call you that you would wear a little more proud than the name of a liar. Why do we not want to be called a liar? It describes us. Because if I'm called a liar, what does that do to everything else about me? puts a question on everything, right? It puts a question on everything. It says those who deny, verse 22, deny that Jesus is the Christ, not, I think this is important, not that Jesus existed. Because there were people here that knew Jesus. There were people here that saw Jesus, the historical figure, walking through town. He's saying the people that are liars are people that deny Jesus was what? Jesus was the Christ. That Jesus was sent by who? By God. He says if you're denying that Jesus was the Christ, you're lying. Because you're in a sense denying what else? You're denying God. You're denying God because that's what the second sentence there in verse 22 says. Because God saying, this is my beloved son. If we take verse 22, the two sentences and put them together, we'll say that an antichrist is someone who is against Christ, and an antichrist could also be described as someone who is a what? A liar. Put that all together. It all adds up to one answer 
Last verse. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. Now, that's kind of what I just said in verse 22. And if I deny the Son, then it says I'm also denying what? What do I have to do to reach heaven? I have to go through Jesus. And Jesus is what gets me to God. We talked last week about praying, right? When we pray, we pray through whom? We say, we open it up with dear Heavenly Father, or as the model prayer said, our Father who art in heaven. That's who we're addressing to, but we close it in whose name? In Jesus' name. Because God can't hear my direct prayer for what reason? I have to go through Christ. Why can't God hear my direct prayer? I'm sinner. And he can't look upon sin. So Jesus worked as that intermediary by coming to the earth, dying on the cross, and then still sort of filling that void in between. Thank you. The word we read, making intercession for us right now. Last part of verse 23. If the first part, the first part says in verse 23, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. So I'm not just missing one, I'm missing both. What does the second part of verse 23 says? If you acknowledge the Son, if you acknowledge the Son, you acknowledge the Father. One in the same right there. Can I tell you that I believe in God but not in Jesus? Can I tell you that I believe in Jesus but not in God? Not according to what we read right here. It says right here, if I believe that Jesus, if I believe who Jesus was, that means I believe what else? Who God is. And I believe then that Jesus was who? God's Son. God did what with Jesus? Sent Him to be able to play that intermediary role right there. It's a package deal. I can't have one and not the other. Remember the other day on that Sunday a couple weeks ago we talked about a foot in the world and a foot in you know, in, in, in God. We said you can't do it because you can't have them both one or the other. I can't have this Jesus, yes, but God, no. Or God, yes, and Jesus, it doesn't work that way. Why does it not work that way? Because God will not have it. God will not have it. It's just like a, if you say, Shepherd, well, I'll take you, but you can't take them. You know, she can't go with you to this great whatever. No, no. If somebody said, well, I'll take you, but you can't take Daniel and Mary and Will and Jessica. No, no, it's a no deal. It's in God's, that's just the way it is in God. This is not a deal. If you don't accept my son, then you don't accept me, and I'll have no part of it. You know, no part. We understand that. And I explained that in you can go along, you've got great opportunities, but there's no room for will and no room for me. The enemy will say, no, I'm not interested. Because that's a, that's a deal breaker. And that's what it is with God. It's an absolute deal breaker. I've addressed this before, and it's difficult. When we try to explain sort of how God in three persons. You know, we talk about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And how that it's three different things, but it's also one thing. And that becomes complicated. It becomes complicated because nowhere else in life is that a thing, right? You know, this is this is Shelby Hopkins. It's not Deb Hopkins. And I know the difference. And Shelby Hopkins and 
well, uh, came from the same parents, but they're two different people. You know, that's that's how our mind works. Like they, they came from the same place, but they're two completely different people. And so sometimes people struggle with that Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, sort of understanding how that is. But Jesus was sent by God, as we read, as we just saw right there, but it's still part of him. You can't accept one and not the other, or deny one and accept the other. It just it doesn't work. And that's difficult. And that can be that can be difficult to understand. Well, he came down. He came down. He knew it Absolutely. Yep. You're exactly right. Raymond said that Jesus came and Jesus was part of the Godhead. But he came, he put on the human flesh to be able to understand, I guess, if you would want to say it that way, life as a man, to live life as a man. But that's not new. No. I mean, we read here in these handful of verses that that, that was happening. And, and, you know, in a sense, I could almost understand it happening now because it's been so long. Yeah. We look at this and we say, how are they getting this confused? You know, well, Ten minutes after it happened, they're already getting it confused. We see that throughout the Bible, you know. But it's those wrong steps. And this is what we have to, this is what I think we need to worry about. It was those wrong steps that were taken just right after the fact that led to branches of a tree that went a long way away. Small mistakes by you or me can lead to all kinds of issues somewhere down the line. Leave it out. I didn't mean that. You had your hand raised for a minute, right? Can we deny Jesus by being not fully committed to him? I think so. Absolutely. We talked about denying our mm-hmm. brother. You know, we could say, I'm going to have a part of Jesus, but I'm going to have a part of the world too. Peter was told what? That he would deny Christ. Three times. And he said what? The first time. He said, I'll fight for you, I'll die for you. He said, no, I'll, and, and, and he said, I would, ne- would, would never do that. And, and when we're making a list of people in the Bible that rank pretty high, Peter goes up high on the list. But he did what? He denied. He did. And then he did what? He repented. He went out and wept bitterly. He went out and wept bitterly. And then he repented. He made a change. Believe it, I think that's, I think that's, a, we think about denying such thing, you know, that's what we, that's what our view of denial is. It's just a straight up no. But sometimes that denial can come in times of trial and times of hardships and times of maybe difficulties in life as well. What if you went to work tomorrow and told all the teacher friends, you said, I'm in love, fervently in love with me. But every one of those teacher friends know that you were out with this lady the night before, the night before that, the other girl. No, they would, you know what they would, you would be doing? You would not be saying, you'd be saying, I love Mary. Right. But you would be denying her on every front. Yeah. And that's exactly Boo, you were going to say something? You talked about how far we're going to be to see more people today as opposed to 2,000 years ago. You think in regard to people, Jesus asked them to watch and pray with you. Well, you know, you can see that. Well, I'm not going to do that. 
Right. Where it's close together. People have to be told repeatedly, mm -hmm. all the time, or else we forget, or we say, well, I know all that. Yep. And that's not a criticism of you either. Don't say, well, they've preached about that already. I don't know why they think I need to know that. It's because we can easily fall away from what we've, you know, what we've been taught. We easily can. And I don't know that make me better than you or you better than me. We're all susceptible to that. That's the reason people need to come to the church and church. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. You cannot be adequately spiritually fed if you do not attend church it's just like little Johnny. If he don't go to the supper table and the dinner table, you know, whatever you call it. If he don't go and eat the proper food, little Johnny's going to turn out to be a mess, okay? Mm -hmm. If you say there's Hershey bars and ice cream, Hershey bars and pop and ice cream, little Johnny's going to be, he's going to have diabetes, he's going to be overweight, he's going to be in terrible condition by the time he's 10 or 12 years old. You have got to be spiritually fed in the church with the other saints. Uh, well, you're not still in the church, unless you well, I think I think two things there, Lucille. The less you know, and the less interest you have in actually knowing more. It don't take long to get out of hand. Absolutely. And the thing about and, you know, there's things in our lives that we were greatly interested in at some point, and and, and we just lose that interest. You can probably, I mean, I don't mean I'm not saying this in a religious sense, but an activity or a hobby. You know, maybe I, you know, maybe I read about, you know, I read three or four books about this, and then I don't remember anything about it. I don't remember enjoying it, but I don't remember anything. That happens to us, right? Why would the church be any different? It, it won't be. It's time for us to be done. Next week, we will uh, get, carry on uh, the last, uh, the last, well, a few more verses there in First John. I thank you all so much for your attention and comments and everything else.